a Playlist Original. Hey everyone, Jeff here from Films at Home. Thank you for coming back to the podcast today. Whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast app, I appreciate you and I appreciate your support of my content. Today's episode is a really good one. Today I'm talking to Todd Sokolov. He is the uh, director of global brand marketing for Paramount Pictures, uh, primarily in the digital and physical home entertainment space. So he is actually the guy who kind of spearheaded the Paramount Presents line. He's worked on many of their home entertainment, uh, both physical and digital releases over the last four years. And in his prior life, he worked at Hallmark, he worked for Miramax, he worked for Warner Brothers. So he has a really good understanding of this industry. And so I'm going to dive in here with him and we're we're going to talk about sort of the the physical media market, um, the value of like digital versus physical consumers, and the streaming market, and how all of that is affecting things, you know, together at the same time, and, and changing the way that home entertainment. Uh, is thought about at, at these major studios. Um, and we're also going to go through some of his favorite recent releases, stuff from Criterion Vinegar Syndrome that he's, you know, been really excited about. And, you know, we just kind of, we just kind of geek out about home entertainment and physical media in this world. And, uh, you know, for me, just gain a more understanding of the business side of things. And, you know, hopefully the same for you guys. Now, I will say disclaimer on this, um, you know, Todd here, he's representing his own personal beliefs. He's not speaking on behalf of Paramount Pictures. He's not here representing Paramount in an official capacity. He's here on the podcast. Yes, he works for Paramount, but these are all his personal opinions. And I just need to put that out there so you guys are aware. He's not speaking for Paramount with anything he says on this podcast. These are his personal opinions. But with that being said, Let's jump into the interview. I think you guys will really like this one and enjoy it. Todd was great to have on, super, super knowledgeable, and I learned a lot, so I think you will too. So sit back, relax, enjoy the interview, and I'll talk to you guys at the end. All right, everybody, welcome to the interview here with Todd Sokolov uh, from Paramount. Todd, thank you yeah. for joining today. This is this is very cool. Um, You're welcome. It's great could you give here. us a little... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. I, this is... Uh, I think you're the first person from any... Uh, you got any connection to any of the big four. So this is very cool. Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, your opinions on things. So to, to kick things off, you could just start like, how, how did you get into this business? What's your kind of career background? What's the path that, that brought you here? Cause I'm always interested mm-hmm. to hear how people end up in, in like that home video, home entertainment space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, so, um, yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, I, uh, would say, you know, honestly, I got into it from loving it, um, from having a passion for it since uh, the the early days. I'm older than you, so the early days of, of home entertainment. Um, I was actually trying for the shows, trying to think back to like the first time I saw home entertainment displayed, and I was probably, it, I'm going to say, my parents took me and my brother to a home and garden show in Detroit where I grew up, and there was a video disc. Uh, display um, on one of those projection TVs with the RGB and it was Star Trek the motion picture and uh, Superman the movie and so this is pre-beta you know and um, I was mesmerized in fact I was actually so mesmerized that I lost my parents at the (laughs) show I actually was standing there watching this thing so like the whole concept of home entertainment has always been fascinating to me um, and then, you know, grew up with the mom and pop video stores, um, 
I'm from a small town in Michigan, so uh, you know, really great experience with horror movies and and you know VHS and renting the VHS player with you know two movies over a weekend like that kind of thing and and so home entertainment's just always really stuck with me personally as as a love um but I you know I went to film school I uh tried to find my you know landing in in this crazy entertainment industry and you know, worked uh, for studios most of my life, actually, um, on the East Coast. Um, I was an intern at Merrimax. I was at Warner Brothers. I was with a company called uh, Hallmark Entertainment uh, for many years, which launched the Hallmark Channel. Um, and uh, the, the funny thing was, is I was always on the television side of the business. So we would do all the ancillary uh, sales, basically, and always in marketing, um, sometimes trade marketing, sometimes consumer marketing. but um, that's how I got into the business. And, um, you know, I was always really quite fascinated with, um, film distribution, um, and, and ancillary markets, you know, once it, once it's out of theatrical, like how do more people get to see the, the, the movie and, uh, but it was always movies in those ancillary markets and then, you know, some television series, but mostly long form entertainment. So, um, that led to uh, uh, a few other, you know, companies um, that got me here to Paramount. And um, honestly, in the direct like feature film uh, business, uh, feature films in home entertainment, this this is really my first gig. So I'm I'm new to that. Um, I've been doing it for about five years, um, but all that experience in the background brought me to this, and just really having the passion for. Um, movies, especially, and having a, a knowledge base of, of film history brought me into the catalog team at, at Paramount, which um, was a, a super exciting, you know, opportunity that I jumped for. Um, and I will be honest, this is, we're sort of at the tail end of physical home entertainment uh, catalog business, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just comparatively to if I had started, like, say, 20 years ago, it would have been a totally different space. <laughs> so, you know, um, in, in a way, like, that's how I got here. And I'm, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade it for, like, 20 years ago. I, I think right now is a super exciting time to be in. Yeah, no, for sure. There's been so much coming out. Um, I was just talking on a, another podcast episode. It was, like, I think 2022 was like the most physical releases that the world had ever seen just like interesting boutique yeah. boutique labels catalogs studio stuff there's just so many people producing yeah so many great releases um yeah and then of course you know you've got your the paramount presents line was a very big part of that as well um, yeah i think you um, kind of did you help kickstart that i think i did um i when i so when i started at paramount um one of the very obvious things that I felt was missing was um, doing celebrate, you know, kind of a boutique type of celebration of the title. Whereas we had typically done the approach of, um, you know, core releases, things in new release would go into catalog and then you keep the lights on by, you know, um, repackaging or, um, uh, you know, coming up with different ways to celebrate anniversaries and things like that. And all that's great, but, as you know, the emerging um, physical market opportunities are around uh, collectors and and passionate people like us that really want something on their shelf that's 
stands for being the best possible version of of the release that it can be. And um, certainly, Shout Factory was doing it. Criterion, of course, invented it. Um, <laughs> Kino and uh, all of films at the time, and you know, a lot of these different sub licensees were really already doing it. Um, when I when I came in, um, we had very recently gotten the, our deep catalog back from Warner Brothers. Warner had released, so you'll see like a Warner Brothers logo on some of Paramount Blu-ray releases from the past. And they did a, a great job bringing to Blu-ray a lot of titles, but um, it, it was a different market back then. It was very much mass, um, you know, uh, sales and, and driven by Walmart and Best Buy when Best Buy had a big, you know, selection of Blu-rays. This is pre-4K. And um, we we just carved out an opportunity. We said, like, look, this <laughs> this uh, two things were happening. Um, 4K was emerging, and this is like 2016. Um, so the opportunity to bring things um, to 4K, and I'm not even just talking HDR, like SDR, even you know, was there. And so we have an incredible archive team at Paramount that was. Uh, charged with with doing new scans, you know, um, a lot of titles just hadn't been scanned in a while. So, um, rescans very much driven by the television sales, t- um, television business, but also um, you know home entertainment benefiting from a lot of scans became something that landed in my lap. And so um, from that, it, long story short, you was birthed this idea of doing our own label, and um, you know we we entered it with with Blu-ray releases. Um, some of the titles had already seen the light of, of uh, day on Blu-ray and, and were certainly devalued at, you know, like bargain prices kind of thing. But when we saw the the new transfers, we felt like, oh my God, these, these are the versions that need to be the versions out there, you know? So that was the birth of, of Paramount Presents. And it's luckily, you know, kept going and we found an audience for it. And I think, um, you know, making the switch to things that had never been on format before was our best idea. Uh, you know, putting in digital copies, putting in, oh, we always promised new VAMs, so that was, you know, always established. And then, um, you know, switching to 4K has been, uh, uh, luckily we've been able to, to do that. So, um, you know, it's a it's kind of a rare thing, um, but I, I will say, you know, other studios are doing it too. You know, Sony's doing great stuff with those 4K collections, Columbia collections, and Lionsgate's doing amazing stuff, even just with the Vestron line and things like that. So happy to be kind of like playing in that sandbox and especially on titles that, you know, I grew up with or that were always my favorite titles. So um, so it's like kind of one part curation, two part opportunity, <laughs> three part, you know, marketplace, uh, you know. Uh, driven. Yeah, no, it all just yeah. kind of came together at the right time, I guess, right? And yeah, definitely. It just made sense. Well, Paramount. So is that? Yeah, I was going to say, like, Paramount's a great studio to be able to do this with because of the, the storied history. I mean, it's yeah, over I was going to say, the catalog's before. incredible. <laughs> the catalog is insane. Uh, you know, it's like the Republic Pictures Library um, is is pretty massive and, and makes up for a lot of the films that had been lost to Universal, um, as you know, you know, uh, that were, were Paramount, including my favorite movie of all time, Vertigo. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, the Miramax acquisition recently was um, uh, was really beneficial as well. And ir- ironically, I'm back on 
some movies I worked on when I was always as an intern. So <laughs> full circle, total full circle. Yeah. So I mean, is this is this where you see you know the market going? As someone who's been in here for a while, you work in marketing. You're, you know, you're following the trends. Is it? I think is I it collectors think it's part of the where the marketplace is because if you really, I think you pointed this out in the past. Like, and you look at the charts in um, in Media Play News. Um, I was going to say Home Media Magazine. I think it was what it used to be called. Um, it, it, it's driven by DVD. It, we are still driven, you know, it's still a marketplace that is uh, driven by new release, certainly. Um, DVD is widely available at Walmart, which is the highest brick and mortar availability. And um, you're seeing that start to shrink, certainly. Um, I like personally I think that 4K is going to grow past Blu ray. Um, but it all has to do with the number of titles being released. Um, the majority of the DVD sales are driven by a category called Other, which is not the major studios, you know. And so as these sub-licensing deals become um, more commonplace, I would say certainly with the major studios, um, you, you, we, as, as lovers of movies and collectors, get to see more releases which is very exciting. So in, in some way, like that's what's happening in the catalog space, but I don't think the, um, the everyday SKUs are going away anytime soon. There's still, um, as you can see from like, you know, repackaging efforts or promotional efforts. Um, it's still there every, you know, time the store resets their product. There may be less of it in stores, certainly, <laughs> but um, it, it's still there. I kind of like equate it to C CDs still exist, right? Like CDs exist um, as a format. Um, physical media books still exist. You know, I think physical media will still be around in some some capacity. That's just unfortunately, you know, sales are declining market wide, and um, people like may have to be a little bit more creative in how we how we can. Um, do something really great and and continue to to have a physical product out there because at the end of the day it's better quality right i don't there are many filmmakers that would want their movies streamed quite frankly until that technology like really you know catches up and svod's kind of out of the question in terms of quality um you know I, it, it's just the best way to experience a film is, is physical media uh, yeah, obviously at home. This is a podcast. Not to dissuade anybody from going to see, you know, a new DCP that's dropped, you know, back in theaters, or even better yet, something on thirty-five millimeter or seventy. Like, yeah, it's an incredible time to be a film fan right now because you have all these incredible choices, and it's nice to to know that you still can have quality for your home theater situation. And it's not all, yeah. you know, it's not all digital. And I, I think I, I, I share a similar hypothesis that you share here with DVD and 4K where like they're in any market, like there's the budget option yeah, and then there's the premium option. And the one that sits in the middle usually dies. Like there's, there's not many people in the middle. You kind of want the best yeah. price or you want the best experience. That's interesting. And with, with 4K, I, I just see a market where it's like, there's going to be DVD for people who just want the movie at home. It, the, the cheapest experience, um, or, the easiest really, format. Yeah, or the availability, quite frankly. Availability, yeah, because there's thousands of movies who, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's 
the 4K and like 1080p Blu-ray just kind of is floating in there in the middle. It and does. I wonder if I that's going to continue to shrink. I, I don't know. I mean, as, as you see, I mean, sometimes not everything is going to be brought to 4K. You know, first of all, 4K is HDR, it, it, I should say, is extremely expensive. And um, like at least my experience with it has been, um, at, you know, at a, at a major studio has been that like our quality control is really, really high. So um, nothing's going out the door if it's not Dolby Vision and HDR10 and, you know, a certain frame rate and, you know, like everything has to be crunched in terms of numbers. So um, luckily that's changed quite a bit because the demand has, has changed. So there's more opportunity to bring things to 4K. But that said, like, I don't think like certain films really look great on 4K. <laughs> I mean, sometimes Blu-ray is going to be as great as it, as it can be. And um, when we're looking at opportunities um, or releases, like that's something we keep in mind as well. So, you know, sometimes Blu-ray is going to be the only option, certainly a great upgrade over DVD. Um, yeah. But, you know, I heard a statistic that like at, at any given moment, like what's available in streaming in terms of catalog uh, uh, choices, you know, um, is like 22% of what is out there by the IP holders. So you're only talking about it, even though it seems like there's so much to watch and certainly on, on streaming platforms like Amazon Prime and even Paramount uh, Plus, there are a lot of things to choose from, but it just represents such a small amount of what is out there. And you don't realize it until you want to watch it, right? Until <laughs> like, you go to try to find the thing and um, hopefully not watch it illegally on, on uh, YouTube. But it's, you know, it's, it's that dilemma that I think keeps certain physical um, titles in business. Um, a very good example is, is Better Off Dead. I mean, that had only been on DVD and Blu-ray for forever, right? Until uh, last year. And we were able to finally launch it in digital. And of course, it's huge because it's a title that, uh, you know, my generation grew up with and is now probably sharing with their kids or maybe even grandkids. And, and um, it's just that availability will continue, whether that is in digital or or physical like it's a good thing <laughs> you know i mean op having options right yeah. is a good like you as a consumer yeah there's like we the physical media world will complain and there's everybody has those movies that like why doesn't it have a blu-ray why doesn't it have a blu-ray mm -hmm. but you make a good point that there's probably for every one of those that doesn't yeah. have a blu-ray or a dvd mm -hmm. <laughs> there's probably five or six that don't have a release on a streaming platform you can't rent yeah. digitally you can't even get them on an itunes or yeah you know voodoo or whatever absolutely i think justin um when you interviewed him like hit on this a little bit it all has to do with with um rights um yeah. when contracts were made there was no foresight to digital distribution and um in some cases uh certain titles were defined as as disc or even tape <laughs> video tape. And so it's kept um it, it, it's kept it from being available in the format because the music would have to be cleared, the royalties would have to be figured out. And um the biggest hurdle is music licensing. So it's why you don't see cocoon available from Disney, you know, on, on streaming. Um it's why Better Off Dead was kept out of the marketplace. We had uh My Fair Lady wasn't available in digital and it's a best picture winner. So um, 
you know, fortunately, I have a team of lawyers back at Paramount that are like constantly clearing these titles. And um, some of it is, I mean, it all has to be looked at with what is the return going to be? What, what are, you know, is it worth us doing? How much is it going to cost? Um, and so being able to do that is, has been really great just in terms of like from a film preservation perspective, even like just knowing that, that the film is available, like keep, keeps it going. Because as we know, um, so much of film history is, has been lost due to, um, you know, nitrate or, or, um, you know, what have you. Um, I don't think that it's out of the question that movies that I grew up with will never see the light of day again, you know, uh, if it's not for people like, you know, Vinegar Syndrome or um, Shout Factory or like these niche companies that are really able to do it. So like when I'm able to do it for like a Burt Reynolds obscure movie like Rough Cut <laughs> and Paramount Presents, I know there's an audience for, for that sort of thing. Those are the kind of fun things I get to work on. Yeah, and that is, that is part of why I've loved... Well, I, I, all this work that's been happening lately with physical releases and all, all the releases that have been coming out is great. But I think that the even better part, if you look beyond that, is the fact that those were now preserved in a higher definition format or in Absolutely. a, in a on digital. Ma- yeah. I mean, they maybe they just existed on a reel. Like at least they're Absolutely. now saved somewhere. They're not deteriorating. So yeah, it's a, that's a huge part of it for me. And that's, you know, that is why. That's why I buy some of these too. Like you support those efforts. What and movie would you say you've bought the most, like rebought the most in, in a format? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's gotta be Jaws. <laughs> I have, I think I have every North American release of Jaws. Like yeah. currently, like I still have, I have the first MCA laser disc. I have the VHS, yeah. I have the DVD yeah. and I have, you know, three versions of the Blu-ray, two versions of the 4k. Yeah. I've got them all. That's, that's just, great. that's my movie. That's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Mine is, mine is actually gremlins. And, um, I, I, it was the first VHS I bought. Um, and it was like $40. It was a used copy at the video store for like 39 99, uh, back in the day. And um, I've bought it on every single format. And every time it's re-released or retransferred, I get so excited just to see the detail, you know, that, that you're looking for, you know, in the, in the film that, that even sometimes theatrical, um, you know, uh, film prints can't, can't deliver on. But I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like if, if it's back in 70 millimeter, like I'll go to the theater just to see it, even though I have the 4K of <laughs> it. Yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing like that. You can't, as much as 4K is excellent and some of these scans and transfers that have come out are amazing, but you can't, you can't replicate a really good 70 millimeter in a theater. Yeah, exactly. You can't replicate that at home. Exactly. I, I think one of the things that's interesting also about like the home media experience is that, um, in many cases, especially with 4K and the HDR color grading, you're seeing it in a way that's completely different than you are used to seeing it, you know, for so many years. And that's going to differ with generations, right? Depending on how old the film is. Um, In the cases where, you know, a director is not alive to oversee a transfer or or color grading, um, you you try to go to the next best thing, which is usually like a cinematographer or an editor. Um, And then in some cases, because 
it, it's such an old film, like you, you rely on the the archive team to to look at source material and and you know run different dye tests almost with you know the original camera negative and try to get to what the original vision of, of the thing is. But we've had you know titles, <clears throat> excuse me, where a director will come in and really change it, <laughs> like really kind of start to work with with picture quality and um and that's interesting because i think what it does is like provides the opportunity of of dusting something off and, and making it even better and making it an even better experience than than it was in the past that may be kind of controversial um it would only be done at a studio if like if the director is really putting their foot down and saying like this is the way i want it to sound now or look now and um and that's certainly something that like you know, it's been done, I would say, to the dismay of a lot of fans, like in the George Lucas kind of camp of messing with Star Wars, all the way to somebody like Spielberg, who like really wanted to make sure Indiana Jones and Last Crusade didn't have those crazy blue screen lines, you know, when it was really so 4K. So it's like there's there's a balance in between. And I think um, ultimately it's kind of like exciting to see like, what is it going to look like on these new formats? Um, and especially um, as technology to play back the formats just gets better and better. Like um, that even changes it as well. Oh yeah. The, I mean, the difference between a, a 4k TV from 2018 and a brand yeah. new one off the line right now. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a world of difference. Like the technology, the, the disc I guess has always been, solid but mm -hmm. the display technology almost came after like it almost didn't the discs were ahead of the display technology in yeah. a way especially with the hdr which was interesting usually yeah. it's usually it's flipped like the right. tech comes and then the format comes yeah that's it's absolutely that um i was a fan of laser discs actually and and had had many of them um mainly for the special features because that was just so novel at the time and um but i i will stand by the audio on Laserdisc being far superior than than anything. Like I think even better than DVD at the time. Um, of course, you had to flip the disc over 500 times before you got to the end of the movie. So there was that. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it is kind of interesting. But I, I think at the end of the day, like going back to the physical marketplace, like the collector, um, it, the collector out there now is has more information about that sort of playback and, and, you know, the best way to kind of achieve it. So I, I don't, um, I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's an interesting time because um, everybody uh, in that camp is a curator, really, you know, they're putting together their own festivals at home and, and, you know, look at Letterboxd as a social community, you know, like, I, I, I think that's something that like, um, a lot of folks, you know, in the early days of film school could never have even dreamed of would be a thing, right? <laughs> so, um, super excited that like, it's still going and it's, there's still kind of like an audience for, for that sort of product. Oh, and we're, and we're so, what you had mentioned, like the, the $40 used VHS, like what is that? And I have, I have a Jurassic Park laser discs that yeah. I have sealed in my collection with a oh, nice. 59 yeah. 99 price tag on it. And oh, I'm like, wow. Yeah. What is, what does that equal? Like $20, inflation considered. Like they were expensive. Yeah. We're I mean, over a hundred bucks in 2023 dollars and we can get these amazing transfers with 
yeah. high Atmos audio and everything else, and they're $20, $25 at release, like we are kind of spoiled. <laughs> it's really good. Definitely. But again, like there's, you know, that's, that's certainly for, for a more, um, uh, expert audience that, that knows, knows all that. And, and certainly we see that with like, whenever you have, um, discounts, like price drops and things like that, it's the people like us that are, are really taking advantage of that and, and, and driving the sales. Um, I think, you know, the, the average everyday, um, purchaser of home entertainment unfortunately is is not that is is like oh it's not on netflix where can i find it oh i give up i'm gonna rent it for four dollars on itunes um and and that's a good thing i oversee digital as well so uh, you know esd and, and tbud and so um you know to be able to try to figure out that audience and and really you know start to bring them in has been interesting as well because all about curation you know it's like working with the apples and the amazons and the uh voodoos to um to get a get ahead of those moments and beats and and they certainly come to us with you know weekly ideas and asks and things like that but um it's been very interesting to see how that marketplace has has changed so much as well because like i said not everything is is going to be available on streaming all the time do you do you see a huge difference in that that consumer versus and, and like because i i think uh, other than the crazy maybe the one percent of the physical media people like mm-hmm. i subscribe to every stream i have netflix and amazon <laughs> paramount plus and apple tv sure. yeah. I, I i'm watching the last of us on hbo like i'm not shunning Pretty things original. because they're not on physical mm-hmm. so i am i and i am a digital consumer as much okay. as i am a physical so do you see a lot of overlap or do you think those are sort of Two um, different worlds. I, I mean, there, there is a little bit of overlap. I mean, we, you know, certainly have done a lot of that re- that market research, um, and um, but I think as a as a brand marketer myself, um, it, it generally like we know the attributes of of each space, and um, I think that if there was like truly overlap, like eighty percent overlap, which you know. It's definitely not. I can tell you that um, you would see a higher redemption rate on digital codes and physical media. Um, you know the fact that 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 exists and um, it, it was, I think, designed really as a gateway for um, moving to digital. Um, but that didn't happen. And um, I, I, I mean, I'm somebody that would redeem the code. Like I want it in my digital locker, and I want to have the physical depending on where I am, what I'm doing, if I'm on a flight, like I want to download the movie, you know, watch it. Um, it's a nice convenience. That's part of being a collector and part of have building a library. You have both options, right? Um, but, um, you know, it, it, there are, I, I would probably lean on saying that there aren't a lot of du- double dippers out there, you know, unless there's some real, like, um, you know, impulse by opportunity, like, you know, three for, Nine ninety nine or something like that in the digital space. Um, what I will say about digital is that you, with digital, you don't really, you, you can't really guarantee what you're going to get. Um, I know you've you've talked a little bit about like how you know you don't own it, you don't, you know, it might not be there. You know, there there's certain rights that get lost, stuff like that. I wouldn't be worried so much about 
that because you always have it, you know, in, in the cloud, you always have it in the locker, depend, you know, no matter what, like when Lionsgate was selling Scream, it's not like that went away from your cloud when we started selling Scream at, you know, Paramount. Um, but what, what is not a constant is, is um, picture quality, right? I think in the digital space, you know, a lot of it is, it's driven by SVOD. And so oftentimes, um, you know, what the version of something out there may not be the same as something that's in the physical space. Um, something like a Paramount Presents like that, offer that opportunity to see it a certain way, not just the format, but like a remaster may not yet exist in the, in the digital space. And it all, it all depends on platform. It depends on, you know, like, it really has to do with with expenses, you know. Like, is it is it a platform that, you know, if you're a voodoo person, are they up? Are they proactively updating their their you know version of the Little Mermaid when it went to 4K? Like, maybe not. Maybe the HD didn't get remastered, and that's the one that you own, you know. So, um, and again, they're not people aren't really aware of that so much as collectors are but like as far as the crossover goes like these are concerns these are things that that you know you don't want something that's inferior and digital and and superior and physical um not just you know bitrate quality but like film transfer (laughs) yeah and so are there like are there rights issues there too where somebody might i mean do you get into like a world where disney's like no no no, we're not putting the the HD scan of this on this platform because we released a Blu-ray and we want that exclusive as a physical. Like, is that? I don't. Do we think, break down at that level? I don't think it breaks down at that level. It's definitely. It well, wouldn't have anything to do with rights. I I would say that like I've definitely noticed um, from I won't name any studios, um, but like I've purchased a, a Blu-ray and had a digital copy, and you go to the digital copy, and sometimes it's like a four-three transfer. It's not even like a full frame, and um, and and because they're different worlds, they exist in different, you know, kind of like um, uh, profit centers. And, and you know, maybe there's a totally different team that handles delivery and, and everything. Like, ideally, everything would align. And, and, and that's what we certainly try to do. But, um, you know, that crossover consumer that, that's buying both will notice that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I mean, even... Uh, and I wonder, I mean, we touched on this a little bit. I've touched on it. Like, is there a, is there education for the consumer? Do you think that would make mm-hmm. a difference to have more people understand benefits of a 4K and HDR versus just like, I mean, pe- I think people know mm-hmm. generally, I, ju- I judge based on talking to my own parents. Like, sure. do, they, <laughs> do they know the difference between like 1080 and 4K? And like, yes, it's four times more. But like, right. do they understand a film transfer? And do they understand? A lot of people don't sure. even understand like how great an older movie can yeah. look. And they assume that those are worthless on 4K. Why would you put out a movie from the 50s on 4K? Mm. It makes no sense. 4K is modern. So there's like just a, I, I just see a lack of education, right. even in yeah. the collector's market Absolutely. where people are buying these things already. Yeah. And I just, I guess that's that part of what I try to do is, is help. It, it put it out there like you should, Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, look, everything is kind of like toe in the water. When we brought out um, It's a Wonderful Life in 4K, I thought the same thing. I was like, what HDR is for brighter color or, you know, more vibrant color. And this is not in color. And colorized and forked, you know, like that kind of thought goes through your mind first. And then you realize like, 
oh no, this is incredible what they did <laughs> because right black and white. Some of my favorite yeah. HDR exactly. transfers. This and came what what was done with that even. Um, but like I, I do think um, there is definitely um, a commonplace. You know, we're at a we're in a world where like people watch movies on their phones, right? Like so. <laughs> So there's definitely sort of a, a more commonplace uh, experience of like maybe that's not the that's not the ideal thing. Maybe it's convenience or availability that is really a driving factor in the marketplace. Um, and so when it's that, you focus you focus on on that certainly. You know um, that's been big in the pivot space certainly. You know like the ability to see Megan like two weeks after it the theatrical release like I, I feel like just about everything is like before i even have a chance to go see it in theaters it's available <laughs> for me for you know 1999 um that's convenience right like that's not the experience that's not the motion picture experience certainly that the filmmakers probably want you to to have but um but all none of that matters right now because we're marketplace driven on on the accessibility and the availability and um and i think that's a wonderful thing um you know, unfortunately, in the physical space, it, it costs more money to create a disc and to package it and to market it and get it into stores and ship it and all that stuff. Um, so there's a there's a cost around that that doesn't exist in the digital space. And there's a, uh, a timeline like we can't like you shrink timeline. So it takes longer for the physical disc to be out there. And I think the perception is like, well, why isn't this out when I, you know, why is this on digital before it's on physical? Like. It is what it is. I don't think there's anything that like could be done to educate consumers on that. Um, but when it comes to picture quality, I will use my parents as an example as well. I was home over the holiday and I um, noticed that like they had this ancient cable box basically <laughs> that they were using for the spectrum and. As we all know, like they don't proactively call you and say, "Do you have an up-to-date cable box?" You know, like you have call them or you have to exchange it and um but they have a, a beautiful 4k television like, better than mine and so <laughs> so uh i looked into it for them and exchanged it out and there was this incredible like new box that was like the size of a uh, hockey puck basically like a like an apple tv switched it out and they immediately saw the difference and they're in their 70s and i i was just like wow like if they can see the difference in that that's that's interesting to me, you know, the, the, like immediately saw the, the picture quality um, difference. I mean, I saw the picture quality difference because they, they certainly were only getting 1080 through this, this box on a 4K television. So um, I don't think that existed from DVD to Blu-ray. I, I think a lot of people um, were not really like the, the masses were not trained to see the difference. There's a lot of talk about like how the eye can only see so much of a difference, but I would say HDR, especially physical, like really does speak for itself. And um, I, 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 you know, I'm a big, big fan of it and what we can do with it. And and we'd hope that that's where things are going. You know, certainly, even beyond just the physical collector or you know collector consumer. Right. I mean, even I'd want the digital experience to be just as you know, just as great, and with that HDR scan and everything. Yeah, you know, no yeah. matter. No matter where I buy it, I would hope you, the convenience and the availability would also equal quality of, you know, kind of equal across the board. Sure. And then the next best thing is that it is available in 4K uh, with both 
HDR passes, you know, in streaming, um, or, you know, you could download it for higher bitrate, but like, um, you know, not everything's going to be available in every, every single format. Unfortunately, it's just, it's all driven by, um, purchase power. It's all driven by, you know, the, the comps and the people out there that are going to buy this type of product. And, um, until that becomes more mass, um, which very likely probably won't, um, you know, it's, it's just a conundrum. But that, that's why, um, I, you know, as a, as a fan myself, like, I think it's great what Vinegar Syndrome is doing, what Kino is doing. Um, you know, they, they can do things that um, the major studios really can't because they're a little bit more nimble. They have a lot of in-house resources and that's all they do. They just do it. And the other thing is like, I'm a global team. So like when I'm creating this, I'm creating it for every territory that, you know, it's a one, one and done thing, like for, <laughs> so that you're not spending so much money and creating so many discs. Um, whereas, you know, something like Criterion is just US and Canada or Shop Factory is just releasing things in the US. They don't have dubs and subs and all those things that they, that go into, you know, bringing up the cost of authoring. So, um, so, so like that, all of that goes to say like, whenever something comes out, yeah, I mean, it's like, why can't we have this title or why, you know, why was it this certain way? Um, thankfully there are third party, you know, uh, studios out there. They're just really doing amazing stuff on some of the most obscure titles you can imagine. (laughs) Oh, I know. Well, that's, that's what I, I I always wonder. I see some of the stuff vinegar syndrome puts out and, some of it I'm like, okay, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, that's going to sell. That's mm-hmm. For them, that's mainstream. Um, and then I see stuff and I'm like, boy, are they, how are they doing this? How are they going to break even on some of this You're, stuff? You'd, but, have to, you'd have to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, yeah, I'm like. Talk about it, but like, you know, I, I don't, I don't get too in the weeds about like how anybody does what they do. Um you know, I could say that about a lot of studios. Um, I just know what I can do and um, hope that we can do more of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I say good for them. I don't know how they do it, but like you said, yeah. you know, it's a small, exactly. small team. I know they just bought a new preservation, restoration scanner and stuff. So they just mm-hmm. do it in house. And yeah, which yeah, is I mean, great. They, That's they can get away with fantastic. You know. Yeah. We're a little bit more, more traditional and, and stringent, certainly on, on our uh, films. I, you know, I, I know that our archive team sometimes can take years to to work on a project because just to get it right, especially if you're dealing with with um, partners like uh, BFI or the Film Foundation or um, even just the directors themselves, can take a while. <laughs> well, and, and at the end of the day, like this is what I've uh, as I've talked to more people. You know, if you asked me five years ago, I'd have no knowledge, mm-hmm. I'd have no appreciation for this, but like this is a business at the end of the day. Like somebody, if, if nobody makes money, then we're not getting any discs period because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So whether it's, whether it is digital, I I am curious if just over the years and in your, your own personal opinion here, like how do you, if I had to split consumers by like the person who only streams and pays a monthly service, Mm -hmm. right. Pays, pays $8 a month. Yep. The person who buys things on digital and has a digital library and the person who buys physical, like are, is one more valuable than the other in terms of mm-hmm. business sense? Like, is there, cause it feels like a lot of people are going after the streaming person, the $8 yeah. a month person. 
That's correct. I feel like the digital part, if somebody's going to pay $15 for the movie mm-hmm. one time and they do it twice a month, yeah, I would think that they're a more valuable consumer than well, the streamer. You, yes. And, and, and I think um, it's all about what is, you know, when, when home entertainment started, it was a gold rush, right? It was like, let's, what do we have that we can get out? Um, and oh yeah. hundred you know, million copies of Lion King sold on VHS. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that was deep into the rush, right? Like I'm thinking like just the very, very early days of, of giant clamshells and, you know, Boxes and things. The numbers like, are absurd when you look at them now. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's when home entertainment was, or at least like transactional home entertainment was lucrative, like putting aside digital or physical, like if there was digital back then, it would have been the same thing. It would have been you know, even more lucrative. Um, but streaming platforms exist nowadays to um, not only bring in original programming, obviously, but to um, retain IP. And I think, you know, Disney Plus is the best example of um, starting this trend um, where you have all of your content in in one place. Um, It's not all of it, of course, but um, a great deal of it. And if you can just, you know, throw in some really amazing originals that you know that core audience wants, um, spread them out a little bit so they're not canceling after they watch the binge the whole season. Like that is the strategy of Espa. Um, and thankfully, uh, Paramount uh, did a massive, you know, switch by by taking CBS All Access and just saying like, okay, not only are we branding this in Paramount Plus, but it's we are all Paramount. Like all all of this company is Paramount because it's such a, a strong brand. And um, I think that the opportunity to retain subscribers is is far beyond anything in just sort of more the one-off title basis that the home entertainment industry uh, is right um where we see um certainly the 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 return you know as it's not surprisingly if you just look at the charts is um new release of course but also just really like celebrating the titles like you know, catalog titles, um, what, you know, on an annual basis, depending on the year, there, there are going to be opportunities. Um, something like a Godfather 50th anniversary is, is very, very big. And, um, you know, it's an initiative for us to lean into Paramount Plus, certainly. So, um, you know, we had the offer, we had a, a making of a series, we had the restoration of, of uh, the Godfather um, on Paramount Plus for a while, but we also had the celebration of it in, in home entertainment, the you know best possible way to see it at home. And so like when you can really have something that like fires on all of those cylinders from a marketing perspective, and not to mention, you know, consumer products, which I'm sure you've seen the Godfather 50th anniversary pinball machine in <laughs> Atlantic City or like the, you know, the pasta, the official pasta, stuff like that. Like that's, that's pretty exciting. Those are the fun things to work on and all, all things rise kind of, you know. Um, but when, when it comes to like Paramount Presents, that's, that's, a, that's more of a, a pet project. That's more of a fun thing. And like, you know, um, I certainly challenge myself. I go, you know, like, can we release a better, uh, Blu-ray of Nashville than Criterion Collection did. You know, not not that we want to like step on our partner's toes, but like um, that was that was a challenge. And 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 I, yeah, thank you. Like I hope I think we did too. And you know, 
should it have been 4K? Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, it, it was a different time when we released it and maybe in the future, you know, that's certainly not out of the question, but um, it all comes down to numbers. You know, it all comes down to like how, how many people are really going to buy this thing. What is, you know, if I, if I really, really, really like personally want to make this happen, like how can we make it happen? You know, and those are the, those are the projects that there's only so much time um, because certainly there are, there are bigger titles, you know? Um, so as a film fan, you know, it's like, it kind of kills you a little bit inside. Like as much as I want the, you know, uh, deluxe edition of Cool World on 4K, uh, it's like, you know, like reality is like I'm better off like working with Shout Factory and seeing what they can do with it. And, and yeah, I mean, you you, you want a job as well. Like, I still want to be able to do my job. And I <laughs> right. Like, it has to make sense. And, exactly. Yeah. And I guess that is a situation where you would. So, I mean, you are you got, you, I've been seeing some of this and some studios do it, some don't, but you're pretty open to, you know, licensing stuff where it makes sense to a shout and, yeah, I think where it makes sense, I mean, that's the reality of the marketplace these days. And certainly um, all the studios have, have leaned into that, um, which I think is great. I think in in prior years, there was sort of this, um, you know, feeling that like you lost the title when you did that, right? Like, because only criterion would have it or whatever. And nowadays, it's very much like uh, it, it's all incremental, right? And it helps to promote a title that, that may not be as big a priority for you right now. And it can help um, drive awareness of the title. And certainly um, only in the physical marketplace, you never do that in, in digital. Digital is always you know, going to be with us. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And, and a lot of the, and to just go back to like, you've, you've got me thinking in a different way now about the marketplace and the streaming. Cause it's, it's it's basically software as a service, I guess. Is that this the same way that a lot of software companies who used to say, pay us ninety nine dollars for a license now charge you five dollars a month? It's consistent income that you can count on that you know is coming every month, and that is yeah easier from a business perspective than guessing who might buy a license next month. Definitely, and certainly there are opportunities to window things so that they're not, you know, always in streaming. Sometimes they're available in transactional, um, not to, you know, necessarily pull one over on consumers, but like that's that's the business, you know, like we have a product and that's, you know, how you sell things. Um, but uh, what I would love to see across the board is just more availability of classic uh, catalog titles in the digital space, because at the end of the day, like, just look at even some of the stuff Warner Archive did, like so much stuff that just exists on DVD, unfortunately. Um, and yeah. it may always only exist. So as a fan, like, you know, hopefully um, it can be available, you know, more availability is a good thing, basically. No, absolutely. As a consumer, you want options. So yeah. I appreciate the options. You know, I want to, at the end of the day, and I tell people this all the time, like, we're buying movies on disc because like, yeah, we're, we're collectors and we want the quality, but like, we also just love the movies. So I'm never going to say, well, I mean, I own a bunch of movies on DVD that don't have Blu-ray releases. Cause what am I going to say? Don't, I'm not going to buy the DVD just out of spite because it, you know, yeah. no, I'm gonna, I still want the movie. If it only exists on digital, 
I will buy it on a digital platform. I want to, I want to watch it. Like at the end of the day, we want to watch these things, right? We're not just buying cardboard boxes. Like we want to consume the content. Sure. Sure. Although some cardboard boxes are nicer than others, you know, like I think, you know, a lot (laughs) exactly. So like, you know, um, that I think is a big part of it too. It's a consumer product and, um, just ways of like, uh, plussing up. Um, that's actually a bigger thing in the European marketplace. I'm sure you've seen, you know, where, um, they're able to do a smaller quantity of like really, you know, extravagant sets like Arrow does, or, um, sometimes even the studios, you know, like Warner will do them, we'll do them, you know, and, um, that all speaks to the, the collector that will buy Jaws over and over again. Cause it just like, it, it fulfills, it's something you love and it fulfills a, um, you know, sort of an emotional connection to that film. And um, yeah, which is, which is great. Cause that's really what's, what it's all about. You know, like I, I think it's the personal uh, thing that we all bring to uh, certain movies that, that keeps them alive and keeps them uh, going. No, exactly. And uh, yeah. good, good segue here. Cause I know we have, we have some stuff you had said, you want to show some stuff off <laughs> talking about personal connection to movies that you've, stuff you've worked on or stuff you loved on on physical over the years so yeah I, I, I lo- know, i'd love to take a look here before okay, we so before we close I pulled, out i pulled some examples so these are my five and this is in no particular order because they're just sitting here but the um i would say these are non-paramount non-box set favorite home entertainment releases of, of you know of late right um so I'm going to use Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, Criterion as an example of something that I never in a million years would think would happen. Like in the early days of the Laserdisc, they had Ghostbusters. They had, you know, really mainstream titles in addition to 400 Blows and like all the, the greats, you know. God, Halloween, yeah, exactly. Um, it was a different time back then. You know? like, I think you would be able to get that licensed up. But um, I will say like, um, the fact that Universal um, did this and licensed it out, but also has the 9.99, you know, Target um, clamshell edition Blu-ray or like, you know, um, you know, whatever com- great comedies of the 80s collection, you know, kind of DVD in the store. The, the fact that these can live as separate things is very exciting as us collectors because like, yes, this is the one I want. Right? Well, I want it on 4K technically, but like this is the version that that um, I never thought I'd see the, the light of day. And they did that with Breakfast Club too. Like just having like the deleted scenes that had been rumored for years. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, I'm going to say this is more of like a personal favorite of mine is the, the Giorgio Marauder version of, of uh, Metropolis from the 80s. Um, I've had this on Laserdisc. <laughs> And I had a VHS copied from that laser just for many, many years. And then, like, I don't know what happened to it. Like, you couldn't find it forever. So uh, the fact that Kino brought it out on on uh, Blu-ray and it looks amazing is is awesome. Um, it's the version of the movie. I know it's kind of, like, blasphemous to say that because it's got all the 80s cheese and, and everything. But, like, it's the only version that exists to me, even though it's, like, half hour shorter than the actual movie. <laughs> um Okay, one from Shout Factory, um, very dear to my heart, is Terror in the Isles. Um, love this movie. I saw it actually in theaters. My dad took me to see it, and I was very early into horror films, so it's the first time I saw most of the, or even heard about most of these horror horror movies. 
Um, so I will show you uh, beside it my beta copy of, of the same song. <laughs> That's how far back I go with That's it. probably a collector's item now. Yeah, those horror baby tapes I would go for a so. lot. I mean, like, check out that the back is like, you know, that's iconic. Um, but just like this, this is something that I just never thought I'd see the, the light of day. And, and it was really, I think they released, uh, Universal released it on their release of Halloween 2 back in, back in the day. And as a bonus feature, you know, <laughs> so like the fact that it got its own separate release and there's like two versions of the film on there. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I need to, I need to get, you just have me checking my phone if I yeah. own that one. And oh, it's, wow, it's that's a gap. I need yeah. to go get that right now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's I thought little... I did. I know it. I know it well, but apparently <laughs> I don't, I don't you know, have it. Our version of this at Paramount is a movie called It Came From Hollywood, which if you've never seen it, um, you didn't hear it from me because it's like impossible to track down, but you may, may be able to find like an old VHS or laser disc of it. Um, it, it was um, like all the Saturday Night Live and SCTV guys were in it. So you've got like, you know, uh, Cheech and Chong were in it even like Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy and like just this hodgepodge. And they're introducing segments from Blocky movies is, is how they did it, you know, like B movies, um, but most of them horror movies and very much terror in the aisles, you know, same, same type of thing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, like a movie with a lot of different movie clips is very, very hard to clear. So um, it kept it out of the public for, for many years and, and just know that like, I'm a fan of it. If it could happen, if it, if it can happen, it will happen. Cause I am <laughs> in that one. Um, so uh, this one from another, criterion that I never in a million years thought would happen is true stories. Um, David Burns, uh, sort of like based on tabloid, um, Texas movie. Um, just, you know, very influential movie for me as a kid, um, was kind of obsessed with it and, um, super happy that Warner brothers did a lot more licensing to criterion. Cause it seems like they've been releasing a lot of really great stuff, especially like 4k of shaft, like whoever thought, like that would happen. And that's a good example of, of like where the, the physical, you know, like the, the third party uh, licensees are really doing great stuff. Um, and then this one is pretty obscure. Like we were talking about vinegar syndrome and another one I never thought I would see such a beautiful like packaging for is this movie called The Lamp. Uh, again, a movie I saw in theaters when I was in high school, uh, played for like one week in, in my hometown as, as the outing, which is the slip on the inside here, you know? And yeah, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but like to see this like beautiful transfer of the original movie, which was called The Lamp, like the original cut of it, and, you know, just beautiful um, embossed, you know, slip case and all this, this kind of stuff. Like, yes, this is why we collect, right? Like this is the best possible version of the film in the marketplace right now. Could it be 4K? Yes. Good, but like this is the only way we're gonna get it right now, and um, and I think it, that's you know that's important. Like that's those are the things that like um, I love the memes you know out there on on Reddit of of like take my money and you know like that kind of thing whenever we make an announcement because like these are my people you know <laughs> that's, that's a great thing and I, I would say that's an example. Of the kinds of things that I, I love. I wish I could buy more of them, but I, I you know, I have other uh, bills to pay. So, um, you know, there's always that. Um, 
<laughs> I um, I'm with you. I, I mean, if I win the lottery, I'd own the entire vinegar syndrome right. catalog. Right. Or, um, or be a subscriber to there. <laughs> yeah. There's just so many interesting things in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, same, I, I call them out cause I, I am a, a huge fan, but I mean, there's so many, uh, it's interesting labels doing great stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's been fun to be able to work with a lot of, you know, we did a new deal with Kino. Um, you've seen some of the titles. They've been killing. For, they they went hard on 4k and they have been they killing that yeah one. it's great it's, their catalog yeah, and, stuff is incredible you know it's like i said with it's a wonderful life being the first black and white movie in 4k like we put our toe in the water and it was just like oh okay this is this is gonna work right like this not only does it, it work as a product because it looks great but like there's an audience for this this is the collector market that really wants the best possible quality version I think what what vinegar syndrome is seeing and Kino certainly is is you can release a 4K of these especially certain genre you know genre films action horror sci-fi and um and sell just enough to to make a profit and if they're doing it with such great packaging that's even better for us um, <laughs> certainly but um I mean ex- that's what excites me about the future of of, of the biz yeah no they have been I just got taking of Pelham one, two, three on 4k and the other day. And yeah, it's just movies like that. that That's a good example of something like I'm, you know, it's not a paramount film, so um, I can speak to it in detail, but like, that's an example of something that's like um, a restoration was done for one reason, right? Like I, it could have been like a client in an SVOD space wanted it. I don't know. It could have been like a new DCP had to be struck and it could have been just like, the Academy of Motion Pictures wanted to preserve it, you know, and 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 somebody else paid for that HDR or that preservation, and so we as uh, consumers at home benefit for only like you know under thirty dollars to own that pristine version of of the thing. Um, but I would say like just think about like all the things that it takes to get to that to the taking of Pelham one two three original like on four K. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I mean that's that that's one that I I'm like I can't believe this even exists. Yeah, but I'm so happy <laughs> exactly. that it does. And I mean, I had their Blu-ray release of this of the the movie as well, which Kino mm-hmm. did. But I will I will gladly support yeah. that because really, this this it's they're like a unicorn sometimes. Like these exactly. these shouldn't exist, but somehow because oh, of. They do everything came together and this just happens to exist Well, I need to support that because exactly. it is, exactly. it is great. And, um, no, a lot of the, a lot of the work you're doing, the Paramount presents stuff. I'm so excited for red eye. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is so, so underrated. I know I talked to Justin about that cause I think he did. <laughs> yeah. He did the he, features, right? Yeah, he did. And you know, um, the thing about Justin is that he knows everybody, right? Like it's, it's, he's always such a great asset. Um, I brought him in to Paramount from shout, you know, just knowing him from, from that and wanted to, as soon as, um, you know, we started, um, to, to do more, uh, value added, you know, content for the physical releases, especially like he's one of the best out there. And I know he's a big Wes Craven fan, big horror fan, but also, uh, knew Patrick Lussier and you know so that that all kind of like came together worked out um the 4k restoration was something that was already in the works at Paramount so like 
that is kind of is a perfect storm situation where like if it makes sense, there's obviously an audience for it. Would I have loved for it to come up for its anniversary? Yes. <laughs> but certainly sometimes that's not possible. And so like we have you may have heard a new screen movie coming up, so like it kind of felt like the right time to to get I did. I've seen I've seen just a little bit about that screen movie. Yeah. I think uh <laughs> I think the marketing is going pretty well on that one. I'm actually excited to to see that. Yeah. Screaming uh, Ghostface in New York City is very exciting. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that red eye, like that is, I guess, another perfect example of just like that. It all came together. It was like, I would have never, if I could have gone and looked at Paramount's catalog or Wes Craven, like, I don't know, I would have picked red eye out and been like, yeah, this is the one, but yeah, the restoration's in progress and you can tie it into West Great and Scream and yeah. it just works. And exactly. I think it's gonna be huge. Well, and we have this is. great um special feature where we interviewed um a guy that literally wrote the book on on West Craven, um, but he's a film professor and he he brought a lot of really interesting um like uh, connections between all of Wes's movies and Red Eye, which I never in a million years would have thought of. But he's like, no, what, you know, Red Eye is as Wes Craven as you get, and he explains why. And um, that's pretty great, you know, to be able to to do that. And then like we found the old EPK, and and that's something that Justin was able to like really rework and 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 make it feel like Wes came back from the grave and did a new piece for us, you know. And that that's super super cool. Um, but you know, it's from DreamWorks. It wasn't a, a quote unquote Paramount release necessarily. And, and the, it's part of the DreamWorks library that we have as well. And, um, the first one I think that we released was The Haunting that wasn't technically a Paramount movie. And, and we saw a lot of like, what is that? You know, first of all, why The Haunting? And then second of all, what is Paramount Presents if they're not Paramount movies? Um, but they are right. Like we have this vast catalog, and and when we got the Miramax titles, it was like we have to finally do something with Just Another Girl on the IRT, which has like lingered on DVD for years and years and years. And you know, um, when it got restored by um, Paramount and the Sundance Institute, then that became a candidate for for release. So we released that a few weeks back, and. Um, and it, it's part of the Paramount Library, so it absolutely is Paramount Presents. Yeah, no, I mean that's you're you are Paramount and you are presenting it, so it works. <laughs> exactly. Right? I think yeah. you know, it's definitely the like to, to build build on the brand. It's just such a you know iconic um, uh, entertainment brand, but also like um, it, it really all goes back to um, like we were saying about Paramount Plus. It all helps to build build the brand, and um, and they're, they're doing insanely great stuff over there as well to do that you know certainly with ip and expanding out you know who would have thought there'd be a making of the uh, the godfather uh, series on television it's just fun stuff yeah well from a from one film fan to another i appreciate that uh dreamworks and miramax and all the things that mm-hmm. have sort of come together as part of paramount uh that they haven't been buried or forgotten about because that is yeah. my I, I think this is everyone's biggest fear is mm. consolidation is fine as long as it's not consolidated and just thrown away. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I won't I won't name names, but it happens in some <laughs> yeah. some it happens some places. Certainly some sometimes, you know, the money situation just speaks for itself and that's certainly respectable. Um to you know, it's very oftentimes, you know, I mean you see so many um 
crazy adjustments within the tech industries, especially. Um, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, do certain things have to be cut to keep a company going? And, and I totally understand that from that perspective. So, um, but as, you know, somebody that's passionate about this, like you, you want to see things, things go. And I think there, there have been a lot of passionate people at, at studios. I mean, they wouldn't be there if they, <laughs> they didn't want to be a part of it. So, um, so luckily there, there's that. Awesome. Well, I just want to say, I really, really appreciate this. This was a really good, great conversation. I think people are going to really be interested in, in just, I think hearing more about the, 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 the market side of this and where things are headed and, you know, why I think anytime we can explain more of like why certain decisions are, are made and the background behind that helps to, uh, yeah helps to put some of the pitchforks and the torches down sometimes that, that can come well, up online. So okay. I, I, this it's is very good. It's all kind of also a learning experience um, for, for the entire industry. And like everyone, you know, it's such a, it's a, it's a small world and the collector consumer part of it is, is, is um, it's kind of its own small universe as well. And certainly, um, you know, in, in social media, um, things can get a little noisy. I, I mean, like the only thing I would throw out there is that like, look, we're all fans of this. And um, sometimes you have to just kind of take a step back and go, well, well, but we got the lamp on Blu-ray at least, you know, and a new transfer. <laughs> and it came with, you know, with the alternate packaging of the outing. Or whatever. But like, even if it had been just like a Blu-ray for, you know, with a crappy transfer at nine ninety nine, that is the thing at the time for whatever reason. And, and it's out there. Um, it, it, like you kind of celebrate each each little thing as it is, and maybe someday, uh, you know, certain things will, will be uh, uh, be available. That's that's certainly the dream of of every collector. Right. No. Well. Well said. Let's embrace what we have. I mean, yeah. it's it's an amazing time to be in to be involved. I, I had somebody ask me a question the other day. Is it too late for me to get into physical media? I'm like, no. Like, this is, <laughs> This is this is the best time to get yeah. in. Like you, we're we're at the peak of format. Like, yeah, I don't know how you feel. But like, eight K discs are not a reality. So, like, we're oh, yeah. here. We're <laughs> these are these are the best presentations that we've ever seen, and I, packaging is incredible across yeah. the board in a lot of cases. I mean, it's just an awesome time to jump in. Absolutely, and it's uh, an affordable time too. With um, certainly, you know, Blu Ray being that kind of middle. Um, you know, thing and, and, and availability of a lot of um, discs that went out there in, in mass and maybe didn't sell through or what have you, you can really build a great collection at, at an affordable uh, price. It's not always, you know, you don't have to lean into all the, the, the big ticket items to build a great collection. And, and really, we're seeing VHS starting to come back in the way, in a, in a strange way um, that, like, uh, I would say, um, my dream would be if it, it were like vinyl, but the, my personal opinion is that it's there's no way like vinyl because I love vinyl and it sounds amazing. And VHS, is, I'm still I've never really been a fan of. So. Yeah, that's the <laughs> issue with a lot of people compare VHS to vinyl, and I go, but vinyl sounds Vinyl's great. Good. <laughs> right? Yeah, VHS is your streaming. VHS there's a nostalgia. Like, there's a there's a vibe. If you wanted to go for that, sure. Like, I get it. If you if weren't you were, around for you know, 
like it's i think that's a lot of it too or even people my age who i kind of came in at the tail end i had video stores for like a few years and then they were gone right right so i can understand the nostalgia absolutely it's the nostalgia around blockbuster even like blockbuster is like that's like celebrating like the death of something like it's it it literally killed <laughs> it it killed the video stores you know like it killed the what what video stores really were and the, the experience of of um you know this sort of like curation and community and everything so um you know if it if if VHS were to were to come back I think it's it's all about the retro and the kitsch and and I think it's, I think that's great I mean look at like even cassette audio cassettes just in general, becoming back is, um, it's really, who would have thought? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I've, <laughs> I've got a couple myself that I guardians of the galaxy soundtracks yeah, on exactly. that, that I bought as a collector's. Oh, we, we I don't even have a way to play them. Yeah. We, we, we had a release of, uh, the Beverly Hills cop soundtrack and clue on, on audio cassette from, uh, enjoy the ride records. And so, like those, those again, like that's an example of a, a sub licensing opportunity from within, uh, you know, that um, just makes sense, you know, as a yeah. And I mean, this is why physical media is not going anywhere because people are now buying cassette tapes again and people <laughs> want VHS tapes and like they'll, they'll always be something. People, we're humans. We like to, we like to have things. We like to yeah. <laughs> own things. And yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll always be somewhere, whether it's the most prom. I mean, it's not already not the most prominent, but it'll be there. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think it's, Definitely. it's Definitely. not going anywhere. That's human nature. Um, I think, you know, one thing as a fan, like that you hit on that's interesting is that, um, you, you know, new product not coming out on physical media is is also kind of like a uh oh you know kind of situation especially like something like all quiet on the western front like will that get a release uh you know maybe from criterion because they've released you know netflix most oh it is, it is but, getting one. Oh, it is okay so bad example um Je- well literally you it, literally like yesterday i think oh, it's <laughs> mpi i think mpi media has got a 4k release coming oh, out nice. but yeah, yeah. obviously that's that is a one-off because there's and criterion has a few netflix movies but Mm -hmm. i mean there's dozens that you know don't have anything or disney plus movies or things like that 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 all has to do with rights as well by the way you know like if something is a a premiere in an svod platform then it might not have um carve out rights to um to the rest of the company's verticals or or even a third party um you know uh, sub licensee, but um, that's exciting to see because you know um, I like the Irishman is is a good example. Like it, uh, you want to own that on 4K. It's like if you're a film fan and you love Scorsese and everything, and let alone for just the extras for the bonus features. All right. Well, I would say people out there keep supporting. Yeah. Keep buying. However you buy it, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it all supports. You know it. Yeah. But, exactly. Yeah. I would say, you know, just in general, like it's just a great time to be a collector of, of movies and be able to like, you know, curate your own thing. And it's a great community. And for the most part, um, it's not pitchforks and, and you know, fires. It, it is uh, is a really um, fun thing to, to, to see. And we appreciate, you know, folks like you spreading the word and, and really celebrating the stuff as well. So good yeah, time. no, I pre- and I appreciate you guys you guys working with me so i can cover this stuff too because uh 
the reality is I couldn't buy them all, but, uh, you know, by, by, by you embracing the content and being able to give me some, some new releases here and there from Paramount, some of the Paramount Presents stuff. I mean, it, it allows me to use the platform and get it out there in a way I yeah. probably couldn't on my own. So right. it's same here. I appreciate the support and I'm, I'm very, very excited for, for Red Eye because I have not seen that since I had a Netflix DVD come in through the mail uh like 15 years ago and that's the last time i saw it so great i'll be all over that one but there's great stuff coming so i'm I'm really excited to see what you guys do next and thank you i appreciate you coming on here this is awesome yeah it's been fun to chat absolutely awesome well we'll have to do it again but this has been a lot of fun and um yeah well uh i'll catch all you guys on the other side of the interview. Thank you, Todd. All right. So that was our interview with Todd. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. He knows so much about this world. I learned a lot about the business side of things. Every time I have one of these conversations with somebody, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to understand more and more about why decisions are being made in this world of home entertainment. And I think that's such an important context to to have when you're creating the type of content I create. Um, I should learn as much as I can about the space. And I'm, I'm learning a ton through this podcast and hopefully, you know, also educating you guys and, and letting you get those same insights by sharing them with you here on the podcast. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it and you're on your Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google podcast, wherever you are, please make sure you follow the podcast there and also give us a five-star rating if you've been enjoying the content. And of course, make sure to check out all of the other episodes. We have so many great episodes now on the the podcast. Uh, There's a YouTube playlist full of them. If you're watching on video, there's a full audio uh, stream of all of them on your favorite podcast apps. You can see and watch and listen to every single episode. So I appreciate that. Next week's episode is going to be an ask me anything type episode. So I opened this up to the YouTube community and I said, ask me questions, type some questions in the comments. And I did about an hour uh, answering your questions. So definitely, you know, stay tuned for that one next week. But other than that, hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Stay safe and stay healthy out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Coming soon. Be sure to subscribe to the Films at Home podcast using your favorite app so you don't miss another episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review this podcast, which helps us out tremendously. You can also help support us by watching our short-form content over on YouTube and TikTok by searching Films at Home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at films underscore at underscore home. The intro and outro were created by Elon Osborne. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.